0: Movies and Booze
1: on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl, more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie.
0: Yes, all things movies and booze today. As always, on Fridays, Dean McGuinness is with us. Vanilla Jones is in studio as well. And Esther McCarthy, are you at the out there in the internet?
1: I'm out here in the internet, Tom. How are you? I'm very
0: well. Um, I just keep every time I hear you far away, I go back to that item we did. (laughs) The woman who was coming from a type of a tunnel. Do you remember that thing?
1: I do. Don't say, don't
0: remind people again. I
1: can't believe I said that on air. Yeah, that
0: is my permanent (laughs) vision of you now coming from that tunnel.
1: That's kind of troubling, Tom, to be honest. (laughs) It never goes away. (laughs) Oh. Listen, you know the goldfish? Yep. I thought they only had a three second memory. So how would they no, recognise their that owners? That is a myth.
0: That is an absolute myth. Oh. That is just, I don't know, put, put put around by different types of fish to give goldfish a bad name. <laughs> they have perfectly good memories and they can do quite complicated maths. <laughs> so that's that that's that foot to bed (laughs) I literally have no answer to that
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, dolphins are put to fame fake goldfish
0: media more propaganda it was always unlikely though wasn't it you know dolphins would be geniuses and goldfish was like morons that was that was never really there was it it's fish racism yeah absolutely (laughs) that's that fixed so Esther what are you going to have for us today
1: Yeah, two biggies today. Um, One that's been on my radar for a while, um, because it got released in the UK towards the end of last year. And I saw it popping up on a load of uh, critics best of the year lists uh, called Boiling Point, starring he who can do no wrong at the moment, Stephen Graham, who's just knocking it out of the park in everything he does, Um, possibly one of the best actors working in the world at the moment. Um, but I was really interested in it because it's set in a restaurant and I'm a bit obsessed with the restaurant industry because I was fortunate enough many years ago to ghostwrite um, a book for Nick Mounier called Boiling Point. Would you believe? I was hoping to get an executive producer credit here, but no joy. Um, and, and I was kind of fascinated when you know I got a chance to, to go behind that velvet curtain and see what it's really like in the workings of a restaurant. Uh, and this is really good. It's about... A basic head chef's meltdown over the course of one very busy night of service in a fancy restaurant in London.
0: God, that sounds like that ticks so many of my boxes, I don't know where to begin. Stephen Graham for a start. I absolutely love he is a brilliant. He's just
1: brilliant, isn't he? I was lucky enough to interview him last year for the Irishman, actually. He's he's just a lovely, warm hearted kind of person as well. If you ever get an opportunity, grab it. Um, And then we have the tender bar, which is George Clooney as director, Um, not as well known for his directorial work as his acting work. But he has a pretty vast CV at this stage running up to double figures now. Uh, And this is him uh, adapting a novel, uh, a kind of a coming of age story. Uh, about starring Ty Sheridan and Ben Affleck. He's got a really good cast here. Christopher Lloyd is in it as well. And it's set in 1970s America and it's this kind of coming-of-age journey. Uh, so it's a little different to what we've seen him do. I think his, his best films have been kind of political in tone. Because um, his, his dad was a journalist, a journalist, George Clooney, quite a high, high profile right. journalist. And he has always been interested in in political thrillers and stuff like that. And I think probably his best film as a director was were, were two of those, maybe the, the Ides of March and um, Good Night and Good Luck, which were really interesting films. So I had not seen him kind of do a straight drama. Um, so I was interested to see what uh stab he'd make of
0: that. Right. Great casting. Uh, a listener is asking if the boiling point is anything to do with Gordon Ramsay. It sounds like his kind of restaurant.
1: It kind of makes Gordon Ramsay look like um, mild compared to <laughs> what happens here. Yeah, <laughs> ah,
0: Brilliant. Look forward to that. Um, I love that type of film, so yeah. looking forward
2: to that. Um, and we're, Dean, we're drinking Belgian beer this week, are we? We have two Belgian beers, yeah. And both strong Belgian amber beers. So one is a strong Belgian amber, the other is a a Trappist um, amber um, in a Belgian style. It's from Holland, um, but some of the beers from Holland and Belgium are, are... kind of grouped into the same style. So, yeah, a little bit above uh, average strength. And we'll, we'll have a little bit of a chat about minimum unit pricing, which is because you're, of you're big been.
0: on that because you're thinking a um, thing about minimum unit pricing is uh, spend by less quantity and bet, better quality.
2: Yeah, like, um, there's some things that are, are kind of not emphasized enough, but your, your life expectancy is higher if you're a moderate drinker than if you don't drink at all. Is it really? Yes. Um, the, the, are, the facts are coming fast and, and furious. The goldfish, and now this. <laughs> yeah. And when goldfish drink, it seriously extends <laughs> their life expectancy. So, a I'm
0: moderate gonna, drinker is going to have a, le- a yeah, longer
2: life. It's a J shaped curve. Now, what you need to be careful of is moderate drinkers drinking, in Irish terms, a quite a small amount of beer. Yeah. So you you quite quickly get to a point where um the curve kind of goes in the other direction. But um about um uh, for a man about 20 units a week uh, you have better life expectancy than if uh if you uh, are not drinking at right. all. And
0: 20 is about 10 drinks, isn't
2: it? It's Yeah, about about 10 pints of beer in a week. Yeah. Now, the problem that we have is that people tend to have the 10 pints all at one time in a two-hour period, which is very bad for you. Yeah. Um, but if you're, like, where they're talking about uh, having better life expectancy if you're drinking 10 units, that's if you're drinking kind of every night or every couple of nights and you okay. have a beer or a couple of beers or something like so that. So a little bit of a positive side, really, to the minimum pricing. Yeah, it's I, I look at it like plastic bag tag. Nobody wanted the plastic bag tags coming in, but now nobody uses plastic bags. Right. And if you look at it and say to yourself, what's the best way of manoeuvring around minimum unit pricing? What you'll tend to do is you'll tend to scull back less huge quantities of beer and drink a little bit less and probably drink slightly better quality. Okay great look forward to trying them
0: in a few minutes time and in the wonderful world of showbiz i don't know what's going on with the golden globes are the golden globes going ahead or is
3: so they are going ahead but kind of not as we would usually expect them to so obviously if you've been following this story for a while uh, the golden globes themselves and the hollywood farm press association who decide who wins the awards and who's nominated They've been kind of dogged by controversy the last year in particular, but it's kind of, there's been rumblings of it for a while in terms of like. Uh, nominations and category designations membership like there's there's fewer than 100 members who decide who wins these awards and you know lack of representation all that jazz I could go on there's uh, the Los Angeles Times did a big expose on people accepting swag for nominations and stuff it was really really bad um, so they kind of made a call that there wasn't going to be a normal ceremony this year um, and now, obviously, with the ongoing COVID situation, it's they're stripping it right back. There's no celebrities, no press, no audience, um, no red carpet. Um, so we don't even know how we're going to be able to watch this because uh, uh, NBC owns the streaming rights to it. Um, but they also have said they're not streaming it because of p- uh, past year's controversies. So... Very unusual. Like I have no idea forever ever even how we're going to know who wins or how they'll see the light of day. But yeah, um, right. but it's D- not it the only ceremony that's. Very,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I just think those kind of ceremonies without celebrities, press, or an audience, you've already lost an awful lot of their charm haven't you yeah
3: for sure for sure now I think they were due it was right for them to take a year off anyway but a part of me wonders kind of what's the point as you'd say yourself if no one's there or whatever but in fairness for any of the nominees I know the awards themselves have lost a lot of credibility because of the past controversies and the win I don't think means as much in comparison to maybe say an Emmy or a SAG or something like that so but as I said with the Covid situation a lot of other awards ceremonies are being postponed the Grammys just postponed they were due to be held at the end of the month not sure about the others because obviously we're getting into the thick of it um, but there's no updates in terms of the Oscars or anything like that so
0: God it's hard to believe this is still going on it's the Grammys as well yeah Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think we need a drink (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: which brings you in beautifully Dean what are we going to start with so we're tasting good and. Carolus Ambrio. So this is from a fifth generation Belgian brewer uh, that's based in a town called Mechelen, which is just 20 minutes north of uh, Brussels. Absolutely beautiful town and an amazing cathedral. If, if um, Brussels, uh, Belgium is one of those places that sometimes people don't think of travelling there. And anybody that I've met that has taken the trouble to travel to Belgium has come back and said, God, people really should think about travelling there a bit more. Beautiful cathedral in the town with like superb Renaissance art in just a church. You know, just wander in and all of this art on the the walls and so on. Um, This beer is a strong Belgian amber. So the reason why it's called an amber is because the colour is a kind of a dark burnished gold and uh, the Belgian part of it is a reference to the type of yeast that's used in it. Um, Belgian ale yeasts tend to develop a certain amount of fruity flavour but also a certain amount of spice. So you get a lot of bakery flavors in this kind of treacle bread, um, a little bit of honey, um, and then the spice comes through with cinnamon, nutmeg, and then a little bit of fruitiness on this. I was getting blackcurrant juice, uh, apple juice in the background, um, some stone fruit, uh, which is kind of peach apricot. Um, but it's an eight percent beer, so it's a bit uh, uh, <clears throat> above average strength now. On uh, in in relative terms, this is a beer that would retail about three ninety nine mark for a bottle of it and minimum unit pricing for this would be 180 um sorry 208 is is the minimum unit pricing so it's not affected so it's not affected it just stays at the price that it's at Um, the minimum unit pricing is very much affecting beers that are at the lower end of the scale and pushing them up to a certain level but yeah beautiful flavors and a lovely kind of bakery flavors caramel treacle do you need to try and change your drinking
0: um how you drink really like you, you sip this don't you really you yeah. take your time over it you think for it more like a wine well, you, you pour it slowly too don't you you, you don't fill your glass to the because it's going to go to room temperature if you do that. Yeah, there's So a, there's a, keep the bottle in the fridge, it's like a bottle of wine, really, and then the attitude is go along.
2: There's a few things. Now, funny enough, in Belgium, they're quite passionate about drinking the beer just a little bit warmer than we're used to in Ireland, which presents a little bit of a challenge with this beer because it is quite well carbonated. So when you pour it, it pours quite high. And if it's quite warm, it'll pour really high because the carbonation comes out more. So you end up with a, a huge head in it unless you pour it very, very carefully. Um, but yeah, there's a few things. One of the things in in Ireland about drinking beer from pints. If you were to drink beer from half pints, your beer would warm up less. Yeah. But people don't accept the idea that it's acceptable to drink beer not in a pint. So they yeah. always drink it in a pint and end up with warm, warm beer for the second half of the glass. With this, yeah, you kind of pour it. Um, now, the, the glasses in Belgium, um, one of the things that is interesting in Belgium, if you go into a proper kind of a cafe bar in Belgium, um, if you ask for a beer... Um, they may refuse to serve you the beer, not because they don't have the beer, but because they don't have a clean version of the glass behind the counter. Uh, if they don't have the correct glass for the beer, a good really? bar will not serve you the and beer. And is that the correct glass? That's the yeah, that's the the correct glass. I love
0: glass. these gold gilded glasses. Yeah, it they're beautiful. So
2: yeah, so it's and the glass just uh, because we're on radio, it's, it's it's like a chalice. So it's yep. a stemmed glass, and then looks a little bit like you know something that you'd expect to see Indiana Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade in a rescue in the kind of a glass. Yeah, definitely um, rescue. I would say. <laughs> Um,
0: so, Fnuala, are you picking up treacle bread, gingerbread, blends, I never have the words, pies? and then
3: when you say them, I do pick them up. It's so, and I didn't get the fruit really until you said it, but when I went for another sip, I get it now. It's so creamy. It's really creamy mm. and really, really, like, sweet but not too sweet.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Love there's, it. There's a nice little bit of bitterness gorgeous, in, the, yeah. in the background. Yeah, and it, it's a yeah. sipping beer. You know, you sit yeah. back and you sip it. And, like, in in my mind... If you've got kind of two cans of five two five hundred two 500 milliliter cans of 5% general yep. perfectly fine beer, you tend to scull them back and not even think that you've drunk them. Mm. You know, it's just almost automatic. Whereas with this, you tend to sip it over about the same amount of time and it costs about the same now after minimum unit pricing.
0: Would you match them with food? Uh, you could do,
2: yeah. It's um, It would work well with uh, pork. So the um, flavours that are coming from it are similar to the flavours that you'll get if you caramelise sugar. Sure. Um, so like something on a creme brulee or if you have a kind of a pork with a, a brown sugar or a honey glazed um, effect okay. on it. Uh, so one of the ways that's good for uh, beer and food matching is to think about the flavours that work with the food independent of the beer and then see if those flavours are in the beer. So when you've got kind of a brown sugar or treacle flavour... If that works with pork, it will, okay. the beer will tend to, to work all with right. it as well. Very good. Um, Esther, can I ask you what, what film do
0: you want to go to after the break?
1: Will we do our ode to Stephen Graham, Tom? Oh, please. Do do, I have a million yeah.
0: questions for you around Boiling Point. I really do. And and the idea that you wrote that book with Nick Meunier as well. I'm fascinated to find out more about that, too. <laughs> so um, stay there in the tunnel, Esther, and uh, we'll have a quick break and we'll be right back to you.
3: As all, as you used to one it was my fault. All right. Calm. All right, all right, all right, all right.
1: Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. She needs to stay calm, all right, yeah? Take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath.
0: What, are we gonna, what am I going to do? We'll get through it. All
1: right? It's my fault, Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Just need to take it
0: one step at a time. Okay. All right? Yeah? Carly, what are you
1: doing? Carly, look. What are you doing? Carly, he wanted me to throw you under the bus, Carly. What are you talking about? Honestly, God,
0: look,
1: he, to- he told
3: me to... Let you take the blame for this. Callie.
0: It's not my gaffe,
1: I, I know, can't take I know, the blame. It was my fault. So and that I'm so sorry. no sense, Andy. can you don't understand? You don't tell me I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm here every single day.
0: The uh, first film we have for you this week is called Boiling Point, and that is a little clip from it. So, Esther, tell us all about it. It sounds great.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's, uh, I suppose, the the really interesting thing about this is, and it's a format that works perfectly for the kind of film it is, is that this is set up to look like it's all filmed in one shot, um, over the course of one night, when I say set up to look like it, that's because literally you, you don't have a one shot film unless you shoot an entire film in one day. Yes, yeah. you know, the wrapping of a day by its very nature means the, the wrapping of a shot, but it's all made in that way to look like it's over the course of the restaurant in one night and it gives it a real urgency and a real sense of tension. Um, which works really, really well, I think, in, in this. What it is, is a cautionary tale about the demands of the chef lifestyle. I suppose there's a reason you don't see many chefs at the pass in a restaurant beyond middle age, because, you know, so many people end up getting out of the industry. Um, the pressure and the, and the heat of that kitchen are stressful. The working hours put huge pressure on, on family life and, um Dependencies on alcohol and drugs are not uncommon either because of that lifestyle of working split shifts, working late nights, working weekends. You know, it's not it's not good for you. Um, So that's what this is exploring in uh, with with director, uh, a guy by the name of Philip Barantini. Um, It's set during a busy restaurant service uh, in the run up to Christmas Um, and from the very early moments it's very clear that the head chef, Andy, who's played brilliantly by, by Stephen Graham, is a man who's kind of living on the edge. Like the very first scene, he's late for work, he's running into the restaurant and apologising to the mother of his kid for forgetting his kid's birthday on the phone. Um, so you kind of already know this man is struggling, you know, um, and then it's kind of like there, there is a kind of an an evil drama to this, which is quite fun, uh, because basically everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Um, the uh, his former boss, a celebrity chef, um, arrives in for dinner. Um, the most passive aggressive man ever, like, says things to his to, to the woman with him that Angie, ca- you know, was capable of greatness, but he needed me to push him. Yeah. And of course, asks for salt for the main course. Uh. You know. <laughs> He's just he's a great character and he's brought a restaurant critic along who uh, and he didn't know was going to be here and the stock's already low because orders have been wrong. People have been making mistakes. Um, we've got some obnoxious customers, uh, one table of Instagrammers insisting on having steaks, even though they're not on the menu, um, with the implication of we'll we'll put it up if you don't do what we want, you know, oh. and give us a discount. Um one of the kitchen porters is a total dosser and obviously has um, an addiction issue. Another customer is sending back lamb because it's pink, even though it's supposed to be. Um, the sous chef loses her head with the manager at one stage, calls her a souped up Car- Kardashian wannabe, which I think may be <laughs> one of the best insults I've ever heard um, because she's obsessed with social media, basically. And sure. Did anyone ever say they're not, not allergy uh, in a movie, Tom, without that ending badly?
0: I, I saw the trailer and the moment I heard her saying it, I thought, well, I, I can see where this is going to go. <laughs>
1: it, it's like a cough. You know, if someone yeah. coughs in a the film, they're going to die. Yes, they are. <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah, so that's all un, you know, unravelling and it's kind of all told through the eyes of, of Stephen Graham's Andy. Um, there are reveals about him as well through the course of the film that I let people enjoy and find for themselves. Um, But he is, you know, he's talented, he's loved, he's respected. But you can also tell by the reactions of colleagues that he's struggling to maintain yeah. any sort of discipline in his life. And it all kind of implodes for him over the course of this one night. Um, I loved it. I have to say, I absolutely loved it. Oh, and because it great. plays out over one night and over... The illusion of one shot, it really serves to to work really, really well dramatically as well. Um, and there it is in cinemas getting a limited release. But you can also get this one to rent online on the various online rental platforms. Um, and if you're looking to see where you can access them, yeah. Uh, have a look on com and go to the Irish page, the Brilliant. Irish Territory, where there's lots of new films at the moment actually yeah. because of the theatrical windows being shorter because of the times we live in. Right. So lots of new movies you can find there. I- I'm
0: really looking forward to watching. That. I watched uh, Chef over, over Christmas. Do you know that film? It's quite an old film about a guy, a chef, who sets up in, he runs fell of a critic in the restaurant and storms out of the restaurant and sets up a food truck in LA it goes back to his passion starts making these incredible very unhealthy looking sandwiches may I say um, but, but, and it was great we loved it I loved the set in the kitchen because all those tropes you said about customers and send, you know demanding steaks when they're not on the menu and stuff if you've ever had any experience with a restaurant that's what they do all the time
1: you just kind of look. Like, you 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 kind of watch this film. And go. How do they keep it all running smoothly, or give the illusion of it of running smoothly? I think a restaurant's probably like a swan, you know, all serene yes. above water, but pedaling furiously underneath. And and I really, if you're interested in that world, I think you'd absolutely love this film because all the references are really spot on and accurate. Great.
2: And just
1: Stephen Graham, he's just so good. Oh, like I'd, and I'd watch he plays in 90... Liverpool here, which I'm I'm very happy about. Uh, yes. he never does the same thing twice, Tom, does he? He just is mixing it up so well at the moment. No,
0: he's, he's one of those people you immediately, uh, your eyes are just drawn to him on the screen, no matter what he's in, he's, he's like a magnetism about him. I see some breaking news, by the way, coming in. Uh, the actor Sir Sidney Poitier has died at the age mm. of 94. He was the first black man to win uh, the Best Actor Oscar. He was um beautiful actor, uh, very again very powerful screen presence 94 good innings i suppose you would say on that but um hopefully do more on that uh further on along you've uh, you've more um breaking news for us from the world of uh, film fanula and it's that actress that i loved from, um, I loved her in The Royal Family. She's going to be in a new film as well, is she?
3: Vanessa Kirby, yes. She's girl. in, uh, I love her in the Mission Impossibles as well. The, those later Mission Impossibles, so good. I understand what people are talking about now. But yeah, um, she signed on to do a Ridley Scott project um, and she's going to be starring opposite Joaquin Phoenix. It's telling like the story of Napoleon. She's going to be playing Empress oh, Josephine. Oh, um, And it's going to Apple. So I would imagine you'll be able to stream this as well. Apple are getting a lot of big... Things at the minute, they have the Macbeth adaptation as well that yeah. I haven't seen, but I'm hearing great things about. And um, Jodie Comer was actually originally in this role, but she left over scheduling. Um, Kirby is obviously just off the back of an Oscar nomination for Piece of a Woman. Um, should be interesting. Um, I think this is one of I remember we did a piece, uh, uh earlier back last year. Uh, I think this is one of the projects on. Ridley Scott's list before he comes back to the Gladiator sequel or reboot he was saying he has like a couple of things lined up that he has to finish and then he's coming back to uh, Gladiator so yeah should be interesting well they
0: sound great they, there's loads of things in there that's absolutely um, you know taking boxes for me I think yeah. she's a brilliant actress like, yeah. I still she's one of those people in The Crown who I just found in my, my, my so good she was brilliant and wh- like
3: Walking Phoenix like what else is there to say yeah. like, well incredible. I didn't want to say that I think he said
0: so, it uh, very so powerfully good. for us <laughs> I, I find all those places like Netflix and Apple and, and Amazon they're just like these huge money banks, really. And with that amount of money, they're just it's just inevitable that they will attract the best writing talent and the best directing talent. And the For best.
3: sure. And I think especially with the, the success that Apple has had over the last few months with the likes of Ted Lasso and stuff, I think it's kind of given it yeah. a sense of, Confidence. more of a sense of credibility, I think. Yeah. Because again, initially I think it was just, oh yeah, Apple, all the money. Of course, they're going to launch a streaming service, but... There's good content there, a yeah. lot of good content. They're
0: like a wealthy football team, one mm. of those teams that suddenly gets a rich backer and yeah. you know they put in expensive signings, but they still can't win the league. It's kind of like that. But they will They'll win get the league. There. They'll have their day <laughs> in the sun. Apple will win the league. There's no
2: question <laughs> about that. love rooting
3: for the underdog. Yeah.
2: Um, are we going towards our second beer now, Dean? A second beer, yeah, sure. So, on to our second beer. Uh, again, another strong uh, amber ale. Uh, It is brewed in Holland in a place called Koningshaven, which is just in uh, the south of Holland, right uh, right beside the border. And what's interesting about it is it's a Trappist beer, which means that it is brewed on the site of a Trappist monastery under the supervision of Trappist monks with all of the uh, profits going to the living expenses of the monks and the charitable work that they do. Uh, so it's uh, very much a, a philosophy of brewing um, that uh, dates back uh, hundreds of years, uh, back to kind of even the Middle Ages, where but that if, was everywhere, wasn't it? That
0: we we've had those traditions of, of monks
2: brewing beer. In, in yeah, this we've as well. we, we've uh, they've uh, if you visit Clan you'll see brewing implements that they've uncovered um, from the digs in Clan Mcnoise. Do you know
0: what was that? Is that is that like a way of the state or whoever the king, whoever is ruling at the time?
2: giving the religious orders this kind of self-perpetuating income source? You you would have had, depending on the part of the world that you were looking at, um, one of the things about uh, brewing was that it it was an income source. It was something that could be taxed. It was also something that gave uh, the ruler of a region amount of power. If uh, the brewing that was happening in a region was really bad quality, then that reflected badly on the guy who was in charge of the region and an easy way of keeping people on your side was to make sure that they had good quality beer at a reasonable price. So the Rheinheitsgebot, where there's a lot of talk about the Rheinheitsgebot in Germany, the German purity laws uh, being about the quality of the beer, um, that is true because they were using anything and everything at the time uh, so they could use any kind of a, a root or ingredient in the beer and some of them were um, potentially poisonous ingredients that had a flavour that was pleasant but that, yeah. you know, wasn't good for the person uh, who was going to to drink it. But a lot of the Rheinheitsgebot specifies the price ironically of the, the beer and it specifies at what price the beer can be sold. And then as you come towards the end of the season where the beer has uh, had to have been stored for a longer period of time and where they might need to slow down the demand for it, that there's a little bit more flexibility on the price of the beer. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a great thing. But, yeah, with with the monks and uh, as as well as that, uh, like the philosophy that they have in the Trappist monasteries, uh, they brew for their community. So um, in the case of some of the monasteries, they refuse to expand the brewery because they have to decide, are we going to take money that we would be spending on charitable work or are we going to spend it on a few new tanks in the brewery? And that's a really tricky kind of balancing act to, to play. In other instances, they take the attitude that they'll expand uh, because it means that they can give more employment to the region and, and the region can benefit from it. So there's, there's good things. So the La in the same style. So um, the types of flavours that you get through, again, um, with these amber beers, you're getting flavours from the mould. That's where the colour is coming from. And uh, the uh, types of moulds that give these amber colours are mid-coloured moulds that tend to flavours of uh, toasty bread, um, uh, treacle, um, toffee caramel those types of flavours so you get a kind of a combination of different pastry products that you'd expect in a in a bakery so you get kind of cinnamon swirl type suggestions uh, there's a bit of almond marzipan in there and with a little bit of fruit in the background you can get suggestions of, of uh, Bakewell tarts um, the um, kind of caramelised uh, brown sugar on the top of a, a croissant, That those types of flavours and again some, some fruit and some spices, so Christmas spices so uh, definitely a certain amount of allspice, nice creamy nutmeg there's a a suggestion of another style of beer called Weizenbach uh, which is a German style which is a combination of this type of beer with uh, German wheat beer and with that, you get banana and clove and with the yeast that's, uh, that's used for brewing this, you're getting a certain amount of that banana and clove flavour as well. All comes together into really, really nice beer. I've got a soft spot for multi beers. Yeah. Um, in Ireland, uh, there's a, a thing in Ireland and Scotland where the tradition tends to be more multi beers partly because the closest decent source of hops was the south of England and historically both the Scots and the Irish would have objected to the idea of supporting uh, the English. So the that, that beers tend to be more malty in the styles and this is very much a malty style right. Are you picking up on all those flavours Yeah I'm Vanilla. glad you
3: said toffee because I actually was did getting you? toffee apple and I thought I was deranged I'm yeah. very yeah, impressed so That's twice I, now you've I'm picked up flavours I learn so much every time i go in here I'm Dean is just But you seem to have the palate for
2: Vanilla, which, which I'm I think, picking yeah, up on Yeah that helps I so do think that helps Yeah for, sure, for I, sure I was thinking it would help if you were a chef tasting oh, beers Absolutely and and the best chefs are uh, like um, when Jamie Oliver did a project uh, he brought in 15 people from relatively disadvantaged backgrounds and his goal was to train these people in to take over a restaurant yeah. and to, to show that they could um, uh, be gainfully employed in the in the restaurant industry. His his top criteria was not how good are you at cooking it's how good are you at tasting. Really? And his attitude was if you're good at tasting as you're cooking you'll know that something is wrong so you yeah. correct it whereas if you're not good at tasting but you know technically how to cook if you make a little mistake you won't notice it. Okay.
0: Yeah. But this is up a level though isn't it though? I mean Who's going to come in off the street and pick out bakery uh, product flavours <laughs> like Bakewell tarts, banana, clove, trigger, uh,
2: juicy flavours, red apple, stone fruit? It's Yeah, well, what, what uh, happens with us is that um, and it, it, people work at different levels. So sometimes what you'll find is that when you taste something like that, it'll trigger a memory. For me, cloves trigger uh, my grandmother's kitchen. I can remember yeah. exactly what the table is like. I can remember what it was like in the kitchen. And the reason why is because she put buckets of cloves into her apple pie and as a child I didn't like cloves and every time I went there they said do you want some apple pie and I said yes and then I remembered that I didn't like cloves and I was faced with a a slice of of apple pie with clove in it that I had to work on. What triggers your
0: childhood memories could be a good source of uh, (laughs) sounds do you mind I hear sounds like
2: oh boom time travel I can remember last time I heard that sound my mother's kitchen 30 years ago honestly and just something to say as well the book that uh, Esther has mentioned Boiling Point absolutely superb had the the joy of reading it a, a few years ago when it came out uh, so if, if you're looking for something uh, it is a superb book Great. 53106 for your text we have a quick break and we'll have our second film
0: after that Well that was edge of your seat stuff wasn't it? <laughs> if she couldn't have found the paper wow God I was all building up saying I, if she hadn't answered that I'd have missed call. Hang on wait we're, I don't think we're allowed to enter um, <laughs> Esther we're going to go to your George Clooney movie uh, now we're going to take a quick clip from it
2: Your grandfather is a selfish old prick Represents taking care of his family and
3: yet
1: you all end up back here
3: at my house welcome your only uncle so most also your favorite uncle right Maybe. like
1: uh, you are going to law school so you can sue your father for child support
2: no so he can help
3: with your fines about the septic tank No, here we go hey
2: whose kid is that my sister's just...
1: Which sister, a hot or crazy one? What, do you want
0: to die? <laughs> okay, two rules. I'm never going to let you win. And I'm going to always tell you the truth. Your father is a deadbeat. I'll take care of you. Teach you the male sciences. I saw you in the yard playing sports. You're not very good. You'll find some other activities. I like to read. You read enough of well, those? Maybe.
3: You could become a writer.
1: Got it.
0: that's her second film George Clooney directed and based on a memoir Esther is it
1: it is indeed god my nerves are shot Tom while that woman was looking for the piece of paper with the numbers on it
0: god me too (laughs) if she hadn't found it
1: oh (laughs) to be honest with more drama in that few minutes than there is in this film film, I'm sorry to say yeah, it was a bit disappointing I think I just don't think he ever found the heart of the story um So it's directed, as I say, by George Clooney, uh, with Ben Affleck among the cast. Um, Ben Affleck is fantastic in this stuff. I mean, I wanted a spin off movie with his character Uncle Charlie in it. Um, He's a kind of a he he becomes a father figure to this uh, nephew of his. who's played by Ty Sheridan uh, and it's set in the 70s and he's just a character. He runs a bar. um, So he's got all the shtick and the, the gift of the gab. And he is an avid reader as well. So he encourages a love and fosters a love of literature in in the younger man. Um, but I was trying to think who he, he reminded me of. And then the penny dropped. I was going, oh, my God, he's the Fonz. He is actually the Fonz. Um, and I've never seen Affleck play a character like that before. Yeah. And he's having a blast with it. And he's really good fun. And he looks like he stepped out of the 70s. Uh, so I enjoyed him a lot for him. For me, he saved the movie. Um, but for all the talent on board, and there's some talent here, like as well as Christopher Lloyd, Ty Sheridan, one of the you know one of the most talented young actors of his generation, we have William Monaghan who wrote the screenplay. Uh he is an Oscar winner for the writing the screenplay for The Departed. Yeah. Um back in the year that Marty finally got his dues as well. So there's a really good pedigree here, but it's just felt a bit bogged down in mediocrity for me. Um struggled to be emotionally resonant. Um, saved by Affleck as I say, set in the seventies and based on the story of this boy named J. R, who's played by Ty Sheridan, uh who's kind of finding his place in the world. He's estranged from his father who's known as the voice, uh, because he's a popular radio DJ who he only connects with by listening to him on radio. My children um, have
0: the same relationship with me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going, Well I go there for the crack and I said um, and, and, you know, he he does this without the knowledge of his mother, Dorothy, who's played by um, Lily Rabbe. Um, and she's this determined woman. She wants her son to go to law school. She wants a better life for him than she's able to provide um, because the the estranged father doesn't pay her child man- maintenance. So they have to move back into the family home, back in with her dad, who's played by Christopher Lloyd, um, And it's a big, boisterous kind of uh, nostalgic house. And that's where he kind of forms this relationship with Uncle Charlie. Um, So that's kind of it. It's just a bit airy fairy, you know, it's a coming of age thing. It's the kind of daddy issues, the movies like we've seen. We've seen that before, you know, Um, and I just didn't really care. But I was highly entertained by Affleck's character, I have to say. All right.
0: (laughs) A listener asking, um, Esther, have you seen Don't Look Up?
1: I have, yeah. And And gosh, it became such a talking point, didn't it? Didn't it it just? Um,
0: Twitter at its finest.
1: I suppose I, I, can I just say I didn't really rate it and that I also care about the environment, that those are two (laughs) actual separate things,
0: yeah? (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) I found it interesting enough,
1: Mm. funny at times. Yeah. I like the I like the setup. I'm not sure I liked the big name cast. I think Merrill as president of the US was a bit too much now. Yeah. Um and and yeah, I'm not sure. I think that I, he's a really good writer of farce and satire, Adam McKay. Um but I think if he'd gone more for that archness, it would have been actually funnier and more um you know, it struck well as a as a, as a as a takedown of how we're sleepwalking our way through a dis- yeah. disaster. You know, I think it would have actually had more of an edge for that, you know.
0: Right. Um, I think if we survived that. We'll see if we're trending in a few minutes, uh, Esther, after <laughs> expressing your views there. Um, <laughs> Dean, for you, a question. Uh, Alyssa says they got a bottle of uh, Oud Goose. Is that how you pronounce yep. that? Mega Blend 21, okay. after you mentioned it before Christmas. Should I drink it at room temperature? What is that? Uh, that
2: is, uh, we did the vertical tasting just before Christmas oh, yes. of the uh, three different beers. So that's yeah. the 21, which is the most yeah. recent one. Um, around the eight degrees uh, mark. So if you have it in a fridge and take it out of the fridge and leave it on the counter for about an hour before you open it in a normal room, it will come up a little bit in temperature. But if you're drinking it relatively cold, it it will uh, still develop. And the thing about it, because it's a 750 milliliter bottle, it's going to warm up as you're drinking it so unless you keep on putting it back into the fridge after which you, which I you would put, do after today I, I I see the temperature of these things and the speed at which you drink them as being very important it, well and it, uh, the, the flavour changes um, multi flavours in these beers tend to come out more when they warm up a little bit uh, oh, right. so you get different flavours at different times. okay temperatures. I won't do it so fast
0: Fanula <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris Evans is playing uh, Gene Kelly in a new biopic are we excited about that or not?
3: Um, I, I kind of was initially now this isn't confirmed but it looks like it's kind of all but confirmed Rhiannon To be honest, I was initially interested and then when I read about the concept, I was less on board. Um, So this is an idea that Evans pitched himself. There's no studio attached to the project. But the concept is it's set in 1952 and it follows this 12 year old boy who works on the MGM lot. um, And he starts having this imaginary friendship with Gene Kelly while he's working on his next movie. Um, I think Chris is supposed to be producing the project alongside Mark Casson and Ryan Johnson, who people will know from Knives Out. Uh, he's also on board to produce, and there's a couple of other names involved, which should lead me to believe that it will probably be decent. But I yeah. just I can't. I can't I'd buy love to that see a idea. film by
0: Gene Kelly. I, I, uh, yeah, and
3: I think he I think he looks like him, which helps. Yeah. Um, and I think he would. I think he would do a good job. I don't think Evans gets enough uh, credit. It's interesting to see. Is he this, a dancer? Uh, This is the thing. It's interesting to see this trajectory from... Because we talked about Tom Holland is supposed to be playing Fred Astaire in uh, Biopic as well. And he has this dance experience But this trajectory from like Marvel, superhero, slinging star... To dancer, musical person, I don't know. Maybe this is just <laughs> these are all the decisions they're <laughs> making now. But I haven't seen that of him. I'm sure maybe listeners know of a movie yeah. where he's shown his singing and dancing prowess. But
0: a lot of those people are they don't they, they kind of they, when, the they, thing, when they get to that stage they've done everything they've been to all the dance bloody girls.
3: famous talented rich people. I hate yeah, them so much. Triple threats. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Maybe it's just a case if he hasn't had a chance to show it yet, and this is his opportunity too. Yeah. So yeah,
0: Tom Holland is apparently going to play Fred Astaire. It'd be lovely if Chris Evans and Tom Holland did a crossover with Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire fabulous to watch this is Geraldine thanks very much for that and um, the kind of uh, Just Like That is, isn't that what the, Just Like That has been called the, the and Just Like That yeah, yeah the Sex
3: and the City spin off um, so Chris Knott who obviously featured uh, in the beginning of the series he reprised his role as Mr. Big um, spoilers but at this point if you haven't watched pff, I, you I don't do, know well, you if you don't yet.
0: know even without spoilers if you don't know yeah. what happened on the exercise bike at this yeah. point where yeah. have you been?
3: Um, he was his character was killed off very early in the series um, but obviously since then we obviously know the Peloton ad and the kind of fallout from that. He's facing several allegations of sexual assault. Um, He was due to feature in the finale. I think he'd shot scenes with Sarah Jessica Parker in Paris. Um, He was supposed to appear in like a cameo uh, capacity but apparently those scenes have now been scrapped HBO haven't officially commented but all reports uh, seem to point in the direction that he will not feature now at all in the end of the series so.
0: Right um, God there's a lot of controversy in the world isn't there if you were
3: For sure and for a series that's been like incredibly up and down in terms of response and I think there's there's been a couple of other reshoots already uh, with the death of Willie Garson obviously who played Stanford in the series I mean this it's just been so much talk around it like right. it's, I'd say the producers can't wait to see the back of it now
0: and just before we finish possible Desperate Housewives reboot
3: yes this is actually one I'm excited for now again nothing confirmed but uh, they have an official Twitter account still that's still active and they tweeted New Year's Day basically saying desperately waiting for 2022 with the photo of the cast Um, and this year marks the 10 year anniversary of the show's finale Um, so not 100% sure I'd say we could get like a reunion maybe of some sort Um, but a lot of the cast also kind of hate each other so it will be Braising makes see it we all the
0: more exciting, exactly. Yeah, I love on. to
3: see them all yeah. in a room scrapping. So, who wants to see crossed. people who
0: love each other? Forget <laughs> it, Finale, thanks very much for that. Dean, thank you, Esther in the tunnel, thank you very much, as always. And um, that's it for today. My thanks to team, Maurice O'Sullivan, Aidan McKelvey, Simon Tierney, and Michael Gilgamesh on set. Hard shoulders next. Have a great weekend.
1: <laughs>
0: Movies and booze
1: on Moncrief, brought to you by Lidl's award winning wine range, Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie